Greetings, ladies and mentalgents, and welcome to this narration of the web novel, Humans Don't Make Good Familiars. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 49 Jake's POV It means you're just over 100 times stronger than the average Niamma, and at least 5 times stronger than a court mage, she said. According to this, you have a mana reservoir of 915, 12.2 times the current record holder. I guess that's a lot, I said, almost not even believing what she had said. To put it in perspective, it is estimated that dragons would have been about twice as strong as you, Selakar said. The conversation was two days ago, and it immediately led to hours more of experiments in which I had assumed I would be poked and prodded. But really, I was just activating runes and casting small spells. For the most part, anyway. She did have me deposit some blood into a small glass tube like a doctor might use. And I did that by pricking my finger with Mori. Suma fixed it up and Selakar placed it into the middle of a pre-made magic circle on a table. After about four hours, she finally said, Okay, I think I have enough now. Let's try making you a rune. She fluttered over to the wooden crate and began using magic to float out supplies. She pulled out what looked like paint brushes, clay sculpting tools, a bowl, and a small dill jar. Any preference on what type of rune we should start with first? I put a lot of thought into it, um, and I think a wind rune would be my primary method of attack and augmentation. Could you make some to perform specific tasks? I asked. Okay, I've done wind and air runes before. So we can test those first. Uh, after the tests are done, I will begin designing runes to perform specific actions and spells for you. Where are they going to be located? Selikar asked. On my weapons. So you'll need to make them a bit small, I said. Could I see the weapons? She requested. I nodded my head and summoned Destiny, Mori, Igus, and my Jericho armor, and Twilight, my new Warhammer. Here you go, I said, as the last of them appeared. You have uh, a great many weapons, she said, examining them all. Hmm, I see what you mean by needing to make the runes small. There isn't much room on these to work with. She turned away from them and towards me. There is something you may not be aware of. Runes are focuses of magic power and are made by infusing paint dyes and clays with mana. But they have limiters, no matter how powerful the mage activating them may be. If the runes can't handle it, then they will fail and possibly even be rendered inert. One of the ways to prevent this is by increasing the size of the runes, or the concentration of mana used when making them. So if you uh, decrease the size of the runes, then there is a chance they will break under Jake's power. Suba realized. Exactly, Selikar confirmed. You said we could increase the concentration of mana. What does that mean? I wondered. It means that you will prepare all the materials for the runes yourself, and I will use those materials to craft them. This is a rather uncommon procedure, but I have done it before. Nobles actually prefer this method because the runes are personalized to the intended user's power levels. However, she stopped. However, I asked, concerned, you have chaos magic, plus any runes you give your mana to will be chaos runes, meaning most standard rune designs won't work for you. I'll need to build you a custom rune pattern, then modify it to fit the needed actions, she explained. Okay, let's do it, I said, excited to get started. We spent about thirty minutes mixing clays, dyes, and paints with my mana, which she had me deposit into a dull jar first to prevent any risk of automatic inversion. 
but afterwards, everything was ready. Okay, I'll begin creating the ruins. Give me a moment, Selikar said, and got to work applying the paints and clays to a cloth canvas on the floor by floating it to it with magic. Sue and I left her to work for a while. We walked around her old school, and she told me about what she used to do in the classes and about her memories of attending the academy. We explored for an hour before going back to Selikar's laboratory to check on her progress. Almost ready, I called out as I walked into the room. Suma landed on the perch that I had mounted for Suma on my shoulder of my armor. That way she didn't have to fly so slowly. And her feet don't poke into my skin. Not quite. The process is more difficult than I imagined. This may take uh, a day or two, Selikar said without turning to face us. She was deeply concentrating on the problem at hand. We are leaving in just a few days. Will the ruins be ready in time? Suma wondered. I believe so, but if they aren't, I'll deliver the ruined supplies to different battlefields every month, so you won't need to wait too long. I can always bring the designs to you, she offered. We would prefer to have them before we depart, Suma said. She almost sounded annoyed. I will do my best, Selikar said, ignoring Suma's tone. The day before you leave, come by. I'm confident I'll have them finished by then. I sighed and agreed. But before I left, she had me fill up several Dalja so that she could make more materials as needed, and probably do a few extra experiments. Now, all we have to do is wait, I said, as Sumer and I walked out of the building. You left El her detailed list of the runes you wanted, right? Sumer asked. Yeah. Honestly, I expected a bigger reaction to paper, though. Seal thought that it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, I joked. What's bread? Sumer asked and I briefly considered opening a restaurant of human foods for Niamh. But alas, it's off to war instead. End of story. Chapter 50 I sat on my couch in my apartment on earth thinking, thinking about what was coming tomorrow, thinking about my life and how much it had changed, and thinking about how I was going to break the news to my mum. I left at Mosia for a while to have to talk with her, but I had no idea how to do it. I guess I can decide during the drive there, I said, standing up and going to my car. It wasn't a long drive, but I had come up with a plan of sorts to break the news. First, I would take her out to eat to butter her up. Then we would walk from the restaurant to her favorite dessert place, Cream de la Cream, and buy her a slice of cake or some muffin tops. On the walk back home, I would break the news to her. I walked up to the door just after five o'clock and knocked. The door opened and she answered surprised. Jake! She hugged me tightly. She thankfully let go before I passed out, but it was a close call. What are you doing here? I decided to come back for a few hours and thought maybe you would like to go and get something to eat. My treat, I offered. As soon as I said that, her face dropped and she got serious. What happened? Uh, what? Uh, not, not, why, why would you think something happened? I started. Jake, you hate going out to eat in restaurants. You have since you were a kid. The only reason you would willingly go is to soften the bluffs or something, she stated. I didn't know whether to be impressed or frightened at how well she knew me. Can't I just want to do something nice for you? I lied. She looked doubtful but gave in for now. She hadn't eaten dinner yet and was quite pleased and slightly worried when I suggested her favorite restaurant. Suma's POV I landed on the grassy lot outside my old school. 
I had many memories held within these walls, most not so good. I did not particularly wish to go back inside, but I wasn't here for myself. Jake asked me, before I sent him back to his world, to check in on Selakar's progress. I swallowed my anxiety and flew inside. It didn't take me long to reach her laboratory, and inside I saw that she was hard at work, but not in Jake's ruins. Madame Selakar? I said, catching her attention. Ah, Suba, good evening. I assume that you are here about the runes, she said, turning back to her work. I am, I answered. She put down the materials that she was using magic to float above a metal pylon. Is Jake not joining us? She wondered after noticing his absence. No, uh, he is with his mother right now. He needed to tell her that we were going to war tomorrow, I explained. I see, uh, that's a shame. I would have liked to see his reaction to the completed products she said, and then flew over to a metal container and opened the lid. I fluttered over to the container as well and looked inside. It was full of Jake's weapons, and each had been emblazoned with different ruins. I must say, it was quite enjoyable to work with Jake's manner, and creating these ruins was an interesting puzzle. And uh, he made sure to account for Jake's inversion magic, I questioned. Yes, everything will work exactly as requested. The inversion magic he has is uh, astounding. Before he arrived, I'd assumed that I knew everything there was to know about runes. But if they can be inverted, then that means that what I knew was only the beginning. I can't wait to research all the new possibilities that his magic represents. It may, no, it has changed the very way I think about runes. Salakar beamed, admittedly seeing her so excited threw me a bit off. She had been so stoic until now. Almost motionless. Well, uh, thank you for doing this, I told her. Will you be able to carry it with you? She asked. I believe so, but if I can't, Jake can retrieve it later, I answered. I thanked her again and wrapped magic around the container to carry it. I was able to, but it was still quite heavy. I would need to fly low to get it home. The POV of Grand Duke Okuda Supra I was perched in my office alongside my nephew, Baronet Halard Langress. He was giving me an update on the oddities that were the named Niema Suma and a familiar sentinel, or Jake. It seems that they are shipping out to Masha Peak tomorrow, Haylard said. I wonder how they will fare, I said. I could almost picture it, sentinel striding in, Suma perched on his new armor that Haylard told me about. One can only imagine how they'll do in training, he said, readjusting the position that he was perched in. A nervous tick of his. What is bothering you, nephew? I asked. Nothing, he denied. I've known you for thirty years, eh, lord? And I know when you're lying, I stated. He relented with a sigh. <sighs> this, this Jake is, is powerful. Too powerful. You are afraid of him? I asked. Not afraid. Uh, confused. Th there are a great many questions about him, and we have only rumors for answers. How did he get such strength? What are his intentions? Where did he come from? He explained. I nodded my head in agreement. It is true that we don't know much about Jake. At least nothing we can confirm. We only know what he has told us, and we must trust it as the truth. But is it the whole truth? Halot said. You can't let these rumors worry you, I told him. Would you say that if you had heard them? He asked. I have, I told him, and they are as ignorant as the people who came up with them. Halon shook his head. But it would explain much, wouldn't it, if he were a Viking? Jake's POV 
What do you mean, war? Mom shouted. People on the other side of the street looked at us for a moment before returning to the phone screens. I know how it sounds, but it isn't what you think, I tried to say. But she cut me off at the, I know. How could you not tell me you signed up to be a soldier? She shouted, and a few of the people looked up from their phones again. But this time, they looked quite shocked. Mum, it isn't what she cut me off again. What am I going to do if I lose you too? That cut me to the heart. I thought about it, what it would do to her if she lost me and Dad so close together. Mum, we aren't going to be frontline soldiers. We're medics. We take care of the people after they come back from war, I explained. I'll be in the safety in a tent with Suma away for the fighting. Mum and I spent the next hour talking about it. Most of which was spent with me comforting her and trying to get her to stop sobbing. The rest was her begging me not to go. But eventually, I was able to get her to calm down, and we resumed our walk back to her car. Once we safely arrived at her car, I reassured her once again that I would be okay. She didn't seem convinced, but she accepted that I was going anyway. I gave her a hug and a kiss on the cheek, told her I loved her. Then she got in her car and drove home. I parked a ways away, so I started to my car. I was so caught up in thinking how I'm going to make this up to her that I didn't even notice that I was being followed. Suma's POV After the longest fight of my life, I set the heavy crate of Jake's newly enhanced weapons and armor down in his apartment floor. I perched on a vine pillar to rest for a moment. How does he plan to wear all of that? It weighs so much. I wondered to myself. After I rested, I went outside to see how much longer there was until sunset. I looked up at the sky and saw the ribbons of silver and green starting to form on the horizon. And the sky started to add red to its normal orange. The sun would set soon and Jake would be asking me to summon him any time now. I decided to wait for it at his apartment. That way I wouldn't have to fly back if he called as soon as I arrived home. I didn't need to wait long. Suma, um, can you summon me back? He asked. He almost sounded like he was in pain. Of course, I said and quickly cast the spell. I started to make a list of things that I needed to do before we leave tomorrow, but my train of thought was interrupted when Jake collapsed bleeding from the stomach. Jake's POV Turning the corner, I cut through the alley that was shortcut to where my car was parked. I should have known that it was a bad idea before, but I definitely knew after. I was shoved from behind and slammed into a wall. If you scream, I will stab you, the man behind me said. Give me your wallet and your phone. He ordered. If this had happened to me last year, I would have done exactly as he said. But in the last few months, I'd been beaten, burned, stabbed, slashed, and done any number of other horrible things. So my first instinct wasn't to lie down and take it. The same sense of self-preservation that came over me when I was fighting the Drake and the Borag came over me again, as if I was right back in the field, and I did the first thing that came to my mind. I whipped around and elbowed him in the head. That turned out to be a truly dumb idea. The knife he had was pressed to my back, so when I spun around, I spun right into it. Sure, he went down, hard, but now I was bleeding. You stupid son of a... He started to say, but I was used to pain and fighting, so I still had the advantage. I rushed up again, with a fist to the nose. I bellowed in a blind fury, one hand clutching my side, the other connecting with his face. He needs help, 
I heard someone say. For a moment, I thought they were talking about me. They weren't. I was knocked to the ground when someone, a friend of his, I guess, shoulder-checked me. Now, it was two-on-one. I had faced worst odds, but I had a weapon then. Why don't I now? I wondered as I scrambled to my feet and away from the two muggers. I tried to summon magic and my weapons from Earth before. A couple of times, actually, and it never worked. But of course, I'd never been in danger while doing it. Destiny! I yelled. Nothing happened. One of the two looked around confused. Who's he talking to? He's just crazy. Just take him down and let's get out of here before the pigs come squealing. The other said. The one with the knife rushed me while trying to stab me. I jumped back, but there were two of them and one of me. The other pulled a knife of his own and caught me in the side again. I headbutted him in the nose and blood immediately started gushing out. He screamed and whined like a baby, but his friend wasn't distracted. He stabbed at me again, but was only able to cut my arm. However, it was deep. Destiny! I yelled again, more desperately. The odds were not looking good. This time, when I called, I did feel something. I felt it just for a moment. A familiar feeling. Magic. If he keeps shouting, someone's going to notice. One of them said, but I didn't notice who. I was starting to feel faint. I looked down for just a split second. I was bleeding. A lot. He broke my nose, said the one I had butted. Man, forget the money. Let's kill him, said the other. It was now or never. Destiny! I shouted and closed my hand around a familiar metal shaft. This time it worked. The mugger who was closest to me stumbled back. What the f- He yelled. But I cut him off by thrusting Destiny into his thigh. Ah! He screamed. Run! His friend shouted and bolted away, leaving the other behind. I guess! I said, and it replaced Destiny. I hit him with Igus's flat side and knocked him out, finally stopping his screaming. I fell back against the wall of the alley and slid down. Igus disappeared and the adrenaline started to flow. The pain in my side was becoming much more prevalent. Through our private connection, I called Simmer. Simmer, can you summon me back? Of course, she said, and bit by bit I watched my arms, legs and bleeding wounds disappear. The last thing I saw before passing out was the mugger starting to wake up. End of story. Part 51 Suma's POV Suma, can you summon me back? He asked. He almost sounded like he was in pain. Of course, I said, and quickly cast the spell. I started to make a list of the last things that I needed to do before we leave tomorrow but my train of thought was interrupted when Jake collapsed bleeding from his stomach. I rushed over to him and discovered that the summoning spell was already beginning to heal these wounds, but the process was slower than my healing spells, so I immediately got to work. What happened? I asked as I cast my first healing spell on him. I took a wrong turn, he said, and tried to laugh, but he seemed to be in too much pain and Winston said, Off a cliff? I mocked his vagueness, he chuckled, then moaned, then asked me not to make jokes till after he was done bleeding. It took a few minutes, but I was able to close all of the frighteningly deep wounds. However, since I healed him after he was summoned and not before, it meant that he was thoroughly exhausted. Better, I wondered. He gave a slight nod of his head and tired moan. 
Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, for goodness, I forgot how tired I get after this, he complained. Better than bleeding to death, though, I said. So how did you get such a vicious injury? His responses were slow and labored from sleepiness. I, um, I was walking home uh, after dinner. I, I was attacked. Uh, they had knives. But I think I won. His tone was low and his words were meandering. Remembering how much he was bleeding, I questioned, Are you sure? I was able to summon Destiny and Igus. That saved my life. He lifted his head to say, I thought that magic didn't work in your world, I said surprised. It doesn't, or, or it didn't, at least. Maybe because I spent so much time here, or, or maybe because I already knew how to use it. I, I don't know, but, but I do know that it was the only reason I lived. Jake told me, and then slowly put his head back on the ground. Well, we can talk more about this later. You need to rest if you want to recover your strength. We leave tomorrow. I said, this to the air, as it turns out, because Jake had already fallen asleep on the ground where I had summoned him. I landed on his head and pecked him with my beak. Jake, wake up and get cleaned up. You're still covered in blood. I yelled into his ear, jarring him awake. Jake's POV I stood in the shower that the stables used to clean the animals off and let the warm water run over me. I was all I could do to not fall asleep. I cleaned the blood off my arms and torso, and then washed my hair for good measure. I did all of this, my eyes closed, as it was too difficult to open them at the moment. Turning off the water and grabbing a towel I had brought from Earth, I wrapped it around my waist, left the shower, and walked back to my room. Thankfully, the inn was happy to let me put up some privacy curtains around the shower, though there was one incident where a member of staff flew in to ask if I needed anything. After returning to my room... I got dressed and finally went to bed. Sumo healing me always makes me tired, like running for hours and not eating for two days after a long night of dancing at a club kind of tired. I blacked out within seconds. When I woke up, the sun was just starting to rise and I was starving. I knew this would happen, so I set out plenty of food before I went to bed. After eating, I started to feel normal again and called Suma. Hey, uh, Suma, you're awake. I received no answer. Figuring she was still asleep, I walked outside and looked around. The city was quiet. The sun was cresting over the horizon. The sky was turning from light black to ribbons of silver and green, which were starting to fade away and give over to its normal reddish-orange. A few Niema were already flying around, and I saw smoke columns begin to dot the city, one by one. Most likely Niema lighting forges or other sources of fire of some kind. The Niyama don't really cook anything, but I've seen a few places around town that would cook small portions of meat for nobles who could afford such luxuries. Today's the day, I said to myself as I sat on the short blue grass. I had a lot of doubts, to be sure. Should I be doing this? Am I doing the right thing? Those kinds of thoughts. But I always subdued them the same way. Sumer is going, even if I don't. Jake... Are you up yet? Suma yawned. Yeah, I'm awake, I responded. Okay, I'll be down in a little while, she said. I didn't say anything back. I was still thinking. I wished I knew what to expect. I wished I could predict what we'd encounter. But I didn't. And I couldn't. Suma came down about twenty minutes later and landed on a perch next to me. Nice view, she said. Is the one on your world like this? All the parts that matter, I told her. 
We sat quietly for a while, not saying anything. We both just wanted to take one last look, I suppose. But eventually, the silence had to end. Are you ready to go? End of chapter. Chapter 52. Suma's point of view. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Our drill instructor shouted. We were in aerial maneuvers and endurance training. Fly up as high as you can in five seconds, then plummet back down as quickly as possible, making sure to stop only a single body length from the ground. Go, 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 faster! He screamed from his perch located about halfway between the ground and how high most of us could fly. I was a bit on the lower side of the benchmark, but there were a few in our group who did double the average height of our group. Someone in the group asked why it was necessary to do this since it was strictly healing mages training camp, and we weren't going to be in combat. Because of that question, we had been doing this for the last two hours. Up, down, up, down, up, down. I'm going to kill the guy who asked that question. Somebody from behind me complained. Not if I do first, someone else said. Is that chatter I hear? I guess that means you all want to do another hour, the drill instructor bellowed. Sir, I need to stop. I'm going to throw up, the diva beside me said to the instructor. Do it on your own time, recruit. Now get back to maneuvers, the instructor ordered. The recruit did not do it at his own time. Jake's POV I sat on a bench at a local gym, having just finished the last set of my new workout regime. Upon arriving at the training camp, Suma and I discovered that they really didn't have anywhere for me to stay while I was there. Most of the recruits just sent their familiars back as soon as they were done with them. Suma sent me back after I got a copy of the daily training schedule from the camp's directors. With a little variation, familiar training, that the training done with both the mage and the familiar would be every day at two past noon. Aside from strength training, I also have been brushing up on my martial arts and fencing. I even found a teacher who knew spear fighting techniques that worked with a shield. I go do fencing classes twice a week, spear classes once a week, and Krav Maga classes twice a week at night. I look down at my watch, 1.50pm. I would be getting summoned any time now. I decided not to rest until then, because the summoning would just heal and re-energize me anyway. Actually, because of the fact that now I get summoned every day, and that I work out every day, which shreds muscle fibers, I've put on quite a bit of muscle. I work out and get good and sore, and then the summoning makes it so that I skip the post-workout aches and keep the gains. Okay, Jake, are you ready? Suma asked. Hurry up, I answered. I summon you, Sentinel, I heard, as I closed the bathroom door so no one would see me vanish. Suma's POV I summon you, Sentinel, I said, performing the spell. Jake began to appear. He was wearing strange clothes when he arrived, but it didn't matter, because he performed his own summoning and was robed in his armor. Have all the familiars been summoned? The instructor shouted with a brief glance around. They had, and they were varied. Even though we were all healing support majors, we all came from different flights of life. Some of the other recruits summoned Borags, some had salamanders, some had Vedal mountain cats, and one recruit had a black serpent. None of us were allowed to wear any kind of indication of status symbol, and it was clear by the familiars who came from nobility. Well, that's a lot of familiars, Jake said over the private connection. I've never seen so many in one place before. I'm surprised at the quality of them all, 
I wasn't expecting so many high-level familiars, I said, examining the black serpent and mountain cats. That's a big snake, Jake said in a worried tone. Boy, I hope that guy performed the mental domination spell correctly. That thing is as long as a python and is as wide as a golden retriever. He stared nervously at the black serpent. I don't know what those creatures Jake mentioned are, but a black serpent is intimidating familiar indeed. One of the other recruits couldn't stop staring at Jake, actually. As I looked around, I noticed he was getting much more attention than the serpent was. All right, recruits, here's the drill you and your familiars will be running today. We are going to bear you off in teams of six. There's three mages and three familiars. You have until nightfall to make it up and back down Dragon's Horde. The first team to make it back will get to sleep an extra hour tomorrow. The last team wakes up two hours early for extra training, the instructor announced. No one was talking before the instructor made the announcement. Partially because we were too busy looking at one another's summons. Partially because we were too tired from the day's training. But as soon as he said the dragon's horde, no one was even thinking about talking anymore. What's the dragon's horde? Jake asked me. Bad. Very. Very. Bad. I told him. End of chapter. Sumer's POV. What's a dragon's horde? Jake asked me. Bad. Very, very bad, I told him. Dragon's heart is just that, an old dragon heart from before the falling away. Other things have moved in there in their absence. Wild beasts that can slaughter and yammer in a heartbeat. There is a path that is maintained and relatively safe, but all the shorter paths are much harder and fewer willing to brave the new tenants of the mountain. This is an exercise in your ability to get into and out of dangerous situations. As medics, you might need to go to places there might be hot spots of enemy activity. Your ability to survive, evade, or overcome is paramount. Perhaps even more necessary than your ability to heal. The instructor explained. At the top of the mountain, there have been placed four silver bands on poles. Each team will go up there the mountain and retrieve a band and return. This is like some Hunger Games stuff, Jake whispered to himself shocking two of the nearby Niemer, who hadn't realized he could talk. The teams are as follows. Recruits 1 to 2 and Lorik are Team 1. Recruits 3 to 5 are Team 2. Von Pak, Suma and Recruits 6 are Team 3. Toman and Recruits 7 to 8 are Team 4. You will have 10 minutes to find your groups and discuss strategies. When you hear the bell, leave camp and begin your trek up the mountain. The instructor finished. I don't think I'll ever get used to people not having names, Jake said, over the private connection. So, how are we supposed to find Recruit 6 and the Von Pack guy? I flapped my wings and flew up to perch on his shoulder. There are tags on our feet, I said, and lifted one of my legs to show him. Mine has my name, but unnamed Miama, I will have numbers based on the order of arrival to camp. Jake nodded his head that he understood and examined the tags. I looked around and saw several Niyama already looking for their teams. Some were asking for tag numbers. Others were bending down to examine the tags. I think I have a faster solution, Jake said, and then cupped his hands around his mouth. This is Sumer's group. If you are on Team 3, come over here, I shouted, nearly causing me to lose my balance and fall off my perch. I let out an involuntary squawk as I regained my balance. That's one way to do it. I mumbled, embarrassed, as every single Niemer present turned and looked at us in shock. 
but I can't foul its effectiveness. Within minutes, every member of Team 3 was accounted for, perched on the saddles of their respective familiars. I take it that means you're Suma? A Niema with a number 6 on her leg and riding on the back of a Zentorox hound said, I am, I answered. I didn't realize it could talk, one of the Niema, whose tag read Von Pack, said. He was perched on a salamander. Jake raised one of his eyebrows, as they are called, and said, It has a name, Jake. I heard Lady Suma summon you earlier. She said Sentinel, number six pointed out. You can just call me Suma, I told him. Yes, my summer name is Sentinel, but my actual name is Jake, Jake explained. The other two exchanged looks. It was quite unusual why any familiars did not use the name given to them by their summoners. So you don't have a name, Jake asked at the numbered Niyama. Um, yes, unlike Lady... Uh... Unlike like Suma and Von Pack, I am not from a wealthy noble family, so my parents didn't have the manner needed to name me. Number six explained. I'm not from a noble family. It was Jake who named me, I explained. They both seemed to be caught off guard of that. What? Is that even legal? Von Pack asked, shocked. The Grand Duke had no complaints about it, Jake told him. Von Pack scoffed up, cuss, he didn't. He wasn't surprised at his reaction. Von Pack was a noble, and most nobles disapprove of the Grand Duke. Dun! 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 The bell, number six said. All recruits, leave camp now and begin your journey. End of story. Chapter 54. Suma's point of view. The bell, number six said. All recruits, leave the camp now and begin your journey, the instructor yelled. That didn't feel like ten minutes, I heard one of the recruits grumble. I heard from a friend that they did the same thing to him and his group last year. Someone said to her, Why aren't we flying up the mountain and just summoning our familiars when we need them? Von Pack complained. The battlefield is a dangerous place, Jake said, and it's easy to see any enemy flying through the sky. That's why they want us to train close to the ground so that we can get used to traveling this way. It conceals our movements and protects our group. Honestly, I hadn't thought of it like that. I just assumed that it was training and working with our familiars. If someone is foolish enough to get themselves and their team captured by the enemy, then they deserve what they get, Von Pack scoffed. This guy really is getting on my nerves, Jake said over our private link. We need to start the climb, Six said. We don't want to be left behind. At first, every recruit and team took the same trail. But as more paths presented themselves, each team took advantage of the ones that suited their familiars best. Some went up rock mountain sides, others took the trees and leapt from branch to branch. While our team was better suited to walking up dirt for as long as we could. We could have been there by now if we could fly, Von Pack complained. He then gave his familiar several pecks on the head. Can't you go any faster, you stupid beast? The creature didn't seem to notice much, though. Jake stayed quiet, but stared daggers through Von Pack. I also noticed him clenching his fist hard, enough that blood started to drip from his fingers. Without saying a word, I healed his hand, but he didn't stop glaring at the annoying Noble. You shouldn't treat your familiars like that, Six scolded Von Pack. The way I treat my familiars is of no concern to a lowborns like you, Von Pack shot back. I could almost see Jake's thoughts written on his face. He wanted to make Von Pack stop. But he knew that if he did, a fight might break out. Well, now, it was better to put up with him. I didn't, however, expect him to do what he did next. Six, um, would you like a name? 
Jake asked with his distant grin on his face. I, uh, well, of course, uh, what Nehemiah wouldn't want to name her. Why do you ask? She wondered, confused. Uh, if you had a name, what do you imagine it would be like? He asked. I imagine having a name would be wonderful, she told him. Oh, sorry, I meant, what do you imagine the name would be like? He clarified. The name itself, she thought for a moment. I don't know, really. I would want to be, be something that sounds nice, maybe easy to say. But I would also want it to sound regal and proud, if I could, she told him. So, like the name Von Back, Von Back boasted proudly, but we all ignored him. These days I've been thinking about names, what they mean, how they affect your sense of self, Jake said. So, you say you want a name that sounds nice, but is also proud. Do you have any ideas on what it might sound like? This is a foolish conversation. We should be focusing on climbing the mountain, not discussing a lowborn like her getting a name. Von Back huffed. The group fell silent. I looked down at Jake's hand, expecting to have to heal it again. But instead, I saw Jake smiling. It was a knowing smile, a planning smile. It almost frightened me. Jake, we will go to jail if you kill him. I warned him privately. Killing him would be a waste and a crime. No, I have a better idea, Jake said. You can't just go around naming everyone you meet, you know, I told him after realizing his plan. He lost his smile and looked up at me. Why not? Uh, because, because, um, I said, drawing a blank. I honestly couldn't think of a good reason. Jake had the manner reserves for it and the stamina. He had already named me and Seal with no issues. Jake, naming one Niemer won't make a difference. Nobles will still act like this, even if you named every commoner alive. It's just how it is, just how they are. Maybe not, but I can severely annoy this particular noble, Jake said, chuckling. He then began speaking aloud again. How does the name Vendicta sound? For what? One pack asked, sounding irritated and tired for talking. I was talking to Six, he stated flatly. How does it sound as a name? It sounds like a fine name. Any Niemer would be lucky to have it, she said. Great, Jake announced proudly. Then it's yours. Jake was now smiling almost from ear to ear. As soon as he said that, all of us, familiars included, came to a halt. But, Six asked, confused, or perhaps she didn't think that he was serious. Vindicta, I'll give it to you as a name if you want it, Jake explained, still smiling. Von Pack looked horrified. No, no, I forbid it. A familiar can't name a lowborn like her, Von Pack protested. Well, it's a good thing it's not up to you, huh, Jake said, beaming. You, what? Six said in disbelief. Do you accept the name Vindicta, or do you prefer another name? Feel free to answer honestly. I'll give you a name, but if you'd prefer another, I could think of one. You're the one who has to use it, after all, so you should like it, Jake offered. Are you serious? Yes, Jake said. While this was happening, Von Pack was fuming with a quiet rage. He seemed to almost be overflowing with anger. He even began to lose control of his manner for a moment and began the first stages of displaying. I, uh, I accept... The now newly christened Vindicta answered. End of chapter. Jake's POV. I couldn't help but smile as our group marched along. But Pack was fuming quietly on the back of his hound, and Vindicta was beaming on top of her feline steed. At least he's silent, Zuma said over our mental connection. I nodded my head to her in agreement. 
We continued on our journey for as long as the path would take us, until finally it came to an abrupt end. In front of us was the sheer cliff face of the mountain. I could fly up and look for another path, Vendicta offered. No, um, we should treat this like a real-world scenario and stay low when possible, I said, looking up at the cliff and placing a hand under the rocks. We could climb, but that might be dangerous, I thought aloud. Do not be ridiculous, Bonpak snapped. Paxus isn't suited for climbing. He can't go up like that. His voice was full of irritation, whether due to my naming of Vindicta or by not being able to go up on his familiar. I couldn't tell, but I could guess. I could climb up it, but it would take a while, I said, and then I had a thought. Hey, Vindicta, what about your familiar? She's a cat, and they are pretty good at climbing. Orgosa might be able to, she said hesitantly, but I don't know. It's a steep climb, after all, and she is no jadu. Hmm. It's probably safer just to go around, I concluded. So, um, left or right? The POV of Lorik Isbala, son of Count Thikorma Isbala. Wait up, Lorik, one of the two nameless Niema on my team called out to be. I slowed my familiar's pace so as to not leave them behind and give them a chance to catch up. My familiar was a black serpent named Loyalty. Ah, thank you, sir, the Niema said upon catching up with me. You do not need to call me, sir. Just call me Lorik, I told him. I glanced down to his familiar. It was some kind of four-legged mammal, with horns on its head and fangs hanging from its mouth. It seemed tired, huffing and puffing heavily. So we all decided to come to a stop and rest for a while. Your familiar doesn't seem to have much stamina, I noted. No, I'm afraid not, the Yama said. But he can hit quite hard with his horns, and his fangs make great weapons as well. Our familiars aren't as wondrous as yours, Lorik, the other teammate, also nameless, said. He wasn't wrong. My familiar was of exceptionally high quality. But that shouldn't matter. No... They are not, but no matter how strong a familiar, it is useless without a competent master. It wouldn't matter how strong loyalty is if I was a fool, I told them. Tell me, are you two fools? They seemed taken back by the question, perhaps even offended, but answered nonetheless, No, I don't believe so. Hopefully not. Then you have nothing to worry about, I said. Your familiars are yours, nobody else's. Treat them well and they will die for you. With or without the right of dominance. That's why I named mine Loyalty. After a little while longer, we started our travels up the mountain once more. Eventually, we came to a large cliffside. But for our familiars, it was of no consequence. My black serpent was able to slither between the cracks in the rock and slowly make its way up with me, perched on the saddle on its head. The others were faring better, actually. Once familiar was able to scale the cliff by walking up it and keeping its body close to the rocks. It almost seemed impossible. The others familiar had large claws and tremendous legs, which it used to leap repeatedly from protruding rock to the next. I was the last one to make it up the cliff, almost two minutes after the others. As soon as we were all up, we were on our way. The POV of Vendicta we, that being my team and I, walked along the cliffside looking for a path to take up the mountain. I sat in my familiar, Orgosa, thinking about my new name, Vindicta. I was so excited I almost couldn't focus on our task. It was unbelievable. Me! 
unnamed Niyama. I was absolutely giddy, thinking about what my little sister would say when I told her. Oh, wow, Sada, you're so cool, Sada was the nickname she gave me since I didn't have a name before. My nickname for her was Bobo, because of how often she hurt herself growing up. She is the only family I have left, and because of that, we are very close. Our parents became sick and died two years ago, and I'd been raising her ever since then. She's staying with a friend of mine while I'm doing my tour in the army. I have to repay this kindness to Sentinel, oh, uh, Jake... I thought to myself. Up there, Von Pack announced and drew the attention to a small portion of cliffside that was broken and the opening fell below the tree line. We can fly up there and then resummon our familiars and continue our trek. That's a good idea, I said, looking up at the hole in the mountain. I know it is, and I don't need a nameless Niamh like you to tell me, he exclaimed. I have a name now, or weren't you paying attention? I declared proudly. A familiar can't give names whether the Grand Duke says so. I refuse to recognize it, he stated and flew up to the crack in the mountain. I admit what he said hurt. Not because I care about his opinion, but because I knew that most nobles would share it. I would likely face trouble back home because of my new name. I could face trouble back at the camp even. I like your name. Suma said, leaving her perch on Jake's saddle and landing beside me on Ogolus' saddle. Come on, let's get up there, she said. I'll see you in a sec, Jake said. Then we flew up the side of the cliff. Suma and I landed at the top of the cliff and saw Von Pack already beginning to summon his familiar. I summon you, Paxus, he shouted. I summoned Ogolus and Suma summoned Jake. Once he arrived, he looked at the path up ahead and got a grim look on his face. What's wrong? Suma asked, noticing his expression. Nothing, uh, I just don't like caves is all. He said gesturing to the entrance of the trail. End of chapter. The algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click, click, click. With energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I would just quickly like to give thanks to our tier 5 members. Alithia Barkey, Pudicule, Meridian117, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Albarden Gusta, Savage Patch Papa, and Lord Azrakal.